growing in Indonesia, um, Philip's mention about that reminded me that on Monday evening I was privileged to be able to watch the graduation of 15 uh, men and women from the Indonesia Cross-Cultural Institute. I was able to watch it on Zoom. Unfortunately my sound wasn't coming through most of the time so I didn't hear it all but I, I saw it all. Uh, I was able to watch it last year as well. But uh, there's 15 more people who will be going out uh, in a cross-cultural environment within Indonesia uh, to share the gospel and to establish churches. Interestingly enough, the, uh, the prayer, uh, I'm not sure what we call it, but anyway, the student that Monica and I had to pray for uh, was named Emmanuel. So he can share the gospel just by explaining his name. Lucky fella. <laughs> well, I'm a king, I suppose. I can do that. Anyway, you might like to open your Bibles to Ephesians, although most of the passages of Scripture will be on the overhead, so you can watch them there. But um, this is the second of three messages that I'll share on the filling of the Holy Spirit as part of our series on the Holy Spirit. We're getting there, not many to go. But um, last time we looked at quite a few instances of people being filled with the Spirit of God. Uh, but this time we're going to focus on mostly in Ephesians 4 and 5, which uh, is Paul's expressing the filling of the Holy Spirit in rela relation to the ordinary Christian for his everyday life. You think you're just an ordinary Christian, you live every day? Well, these two chapters tell, tell us how that can be. But also it answers the question which I think I posed to you when we did part one of this, is that when, when I was younger and first started hearing about this, I thought, well, how can I know whether I'm filled with the Spirit of God or not? Every believer, we've done this before, every believer is indwelt by the Spirit of God. But the fact that there's a command to be filled with the Spirit of God, and we'll touch on that briefly again this time, uh, is an indication that it's not something that stays with us all the time, even though the Holy Spirit indwells us all the time. Uh, so we'll, Ephesians 4 and 5 do give a, uh, a means by which we can know that we're filled with the Spirit of God. One John does as well, although he calls it something else. He calls it abiding in Christ uh, or fellowship with Christ. I believe all three terms are terms that all speak of the same thing, the, where the Spirit of God has control of us, but just looking at it from a different, slightly different perspective. Ephesians 4, we'll just read from verse 17, first of all. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, 
who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him. There we go. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. It's interesting to note that the letter of Ephesians, or the, the letter to the Ephesian Christians, is the only uh, place in the Bible where we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit of God. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that as, as we study it, as we meditate on it, as we wait before you and your Holy Spirit teaches us through it, that you reveal truth to us so that we know how to walk worthy of our calling in Christ Jesus. And we do pray this morning that as we meditate on these scriptures, that each one of us would be receptive to your Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts so that you are able to transform our lives into one that faithfully represents you. Also one that allows you to fill us with your Holy Spirit all the while so that we might live godly in Christ Jesus and be faithful in witness and testimony in a world that is turning more and more away from you that the Lord Jesus may be glorified in salvation of many. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This letter was written uh, by Paul from Rome about 30 years after the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God came and indwelt all believers. It wasn't written to a, a new church, one that's just been uh, suddenly founded and with all their new joy but rather it's written to a church that's been going on for a while, but it's, and it's experiencing everyday life, being husbands, fathers, mothers, children, family members, church members, all those relationships. And in chapter uh, 5, of course, he, uh, after this command to be filled with the Holy Spirit, he talk, goes on talking about the relationships that we have with those people closest to us. And that's how we will know whether we are filled with the Spirit of God, by how we conduct ourselves in those relationships. But there's more than that, more before that as well. But also this church in Ephesus was under spiritual attack. You know, we, we often hear people say, oh, Satan's having a go at me. Well, Satan can only have a go at you if you open the door for him or if Jesus allows it for, for some reason or other. But uh, they were under spiritual attack from spiritual enemies, from principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness and in the heavenlies. They, their experiences was not much different to ours. We experience the same thing. We have a spiritual war, a spiritual battle. But this command to be filled with the Holy Spirit, which I think I just explained to you last time, was, is in... In Greek grammar, it's in the passive voice, which is unusual because uh, it means that 
we're commanded to let something happen to us. It's not something we do. We cannot fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's something that God does in us and for us when the environment is right. I used the illustration last time, and I'll use it again, of having a haircut. When I was in the army, that's not a picture of me in the army, getting a haircut. But when I was in the army, first thing they did, because in those days we had the beetle haircuts where the hair was way down over your ears and everything, first thing they did, after they gave us a hat, they sent us off for a haircut. And I didn't cut my own hair. I was commanded to have a haircut. I didn't, have, I didn't cut my own hair. Somebody else did it. And after they did it, I had to go back and get a smaller size hat. But this, that's the, the, point, <laughs> the point here. The point here is that being filled, we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit of God, but it's not something we do. We, we prepare the environment. We have the, the heart attitude, the willingness to be filled. We have this willing, willingness to be obedient to God. We have this willingness to go where we are asked to go, to do what we're asked to do. And, and as uh, Philip has shared, and, and as quite, I know quite a few other people here have shared at various times too, there's a sense from God, sometimes it's clear, sometimes it's gradual, sometimes it's sudden, but something that God wants us to do or to say or something to correct in our life. So feeling of the Holy Spirit is something God does to us when we meet the requirements. It's a bit like salvation. You know, a person can only be saved when they are willing. And I believe that every person is filled with the Spirit of God at the moment they are saved because that is the time when they are yielded to Christ. They're in submission to God. They're receiving the gift from God. And as I'll put up here now that filling of the Holy Spirit is God's gift to us. It happens at the time of conversion, but we can grieve the Holy Spirit, we can resist the Holy Spirit, we can quench the Holy Spirit. Got all three. We can do those things so that the Spirit of God is grieved away and he's no longer... Because filling means having the idea of control. He's controlling our lives. And so we can grieve him away so that we take ownership again. We, we put ourselves back on the throne of our lives. I will do this, I will do that, I don't want to do that, I will do this. What does God want? You know, Philip's been after me to go with him on this trip or any trip and uh, it's not for me to decide whether I do or not. I have to go straight to the Lord and say, well, do you want me to go? If he says, if, if I sense that God wants me to go, I go. It doesn't matter what I think about it. Monica won't be happy about it. I already know that. But the thing is, if, but if God wants us to do something, we, we're willing to do it. But filling is a gift. If it was a reward for godly living, we wouldn't need to be filled. I hope you understand that. Being filled with the Spirit of God is not a reward for service, for something we've done for God. And quite the opposite, we need the filling of the Spirit just for ordinary, everyday Christian living. Without the filling of the Holy Spirit, we are not living a Christian life every day, all day. And I hope as we look through Ephesians in a moment, we'll see that. Once again, remind ourselves that we are not speaking about someone behind their back. The Holy Spirit is here present with us. 
He is our helper. His aim is to reveal Jesus Christ to us and to glorify him. He knows exactly what you are thinking now. He knows exactly what your attitude is. He knows exactly why you're here. He knows exactly whether you are willing to allow him to fill you or not. It's nothing to do with me, nothing to do with your husband or your wife, your parents, your children. It's between you and him alone. This command relates to daily living. In its context, within the passage mentioned above, the command to be filled gives no mention of great achievements or powerful acts, but it is for the it is for a pattern of our lives now. This is why I said that we need without the filling of the Holy Spirit we cannot live a godly life now. Being filled with the Spirit of God is God's gracious gift. We don't deserve it. We don't didn't deserve salvation, neither do we deserve or merit the filling of the Holy Spirit. It is his gift. And until we are ready to receive the filling of the Holy Spirit as a gift, we will not receive it. We are filled when we are filled with the Spirit, we will in effect it will affect how we live in contrast to the way unbelievers live. We've already read that in Ephesians 4.17 on. How we speak and act now that we have this new nature. How our attitudes control our lives. How our standards of purity are maintained. And how we associate with others. All of these things are evidences that I am filled with the Spirit of God or you are filled with the Spirit of God. This is how you determine it. Uh, there are some people, of course, we know in the world today who think that you, you, unless you're speaking in, t- in goggly goop tongues and things, uh, you're not filled with the Spirit of God. In fact, they'd say you're not even saved. Well, that's contrary to the Bible. But let's look at these in more detail. This is how you will know whether you're filled with the Spirit of God, how we live in contrast to the way unbelievers live. Uh, Ephesians 4:17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk in the as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. And in Ephesians 5.15, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. God, when we are filled with the Spirit of God, we will not be going the way of the world. The way we live will be different. It will be noticeably different. And this is now possible because of our new nature, which was received when we learned of Christ. how we speak and act now that we have this new nature, Ephesians 4.25. Therefore, putting away lying. You know, if, if you if you're still have this characteristic or habit of lying, then obviously you're not filled with the Spirit of God. So it's one way of measuring that. Uh, Let each one speak the truth with his neighbour, for we are members of one another. Be angry, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. In other words, we put things right. Uh, Nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labour, working with his hands, what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. There's going to be something different in our speech, something different in our behaviour. Verse 25, where there was falsehood before, we will speak the truth. 
Jesus in his prayer in John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them by their truth, by your word. No, sorry, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Verses 26 and 27 uh, speak of a forgiving spirit. We don't hold any grudges. Nobody owes us anything. Everything that we have, everything that we are, was given to us by God. You don't have anything that God didn't give you. You say, oh, but I worked hard for this. Well, who gave the ability and the opportunity to do that work? Who gave you the, just the inclination to do the work? Who gave you all those things? God gave them all to you. Everything I am and have is a gift from God and that everything that I am and have has been redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus and so it belongs to him. Where we once stole, we are now to work and to give rather than take. Uh, This is true of spiritual benefits, of spiritual giftings as well. Uh, Since God has given us spiritual gifts, uh, as we've seen in our previous studies, uh, they are given for the express purpose of building up the church, the body of Christ, and we'll look at that a little later. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And of course, in the, the, the grieving of the Holy Spirit is when we cease to be filled. No evil talk now. Instead of, of uh, evil talk, We now speak those things that are edifying to others, that will build up others. I was thinking this morning, uh, I didn't review this this morning, I did it yesterday, but I was thinking this morning that uh, by preparing this sermon, I've pretty much got everything I'm going to get out of it. So I don't need to share it with you, do I? I could have just stayed home and said, well, that's it, I've learnt all this, I know it all. But I'm sure, but of course, uh, that's not what God wanted. But I'm sharing it with you, and that's how we share our gifts and abilities. Instead of taking from others, we share it with others for the purpose of edifying, not white-anting or tearing down. Do you know what white-anting means? Who knows what white ants are? Termites. They, they holler out the timber. They, they leave the outside looking beautiful. But inside us, there's nothing left. And unfortunately, sometimes people in, in our churches, even Christians, can white out the ministry. They can undermine it. They can destroy it from within. So we need to be careful. Everything we do is to build it up. If we live in the likeness of the world, we will grieve the Holy Spirit. Uh, also, how our attitudes control our lives. Chapter 4.31 Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamour and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another even as God has in Christ forgave you. Uh, we could spend weeks on this but bitterness which is just bitter hatred. You know, we, we can hold hatred for somebody else. Wrath is a settled disposition which may... Um, cause us to actually seek revenge. Uh, anger, and this, this word here is, isn't the explosive type, like dynamite, come, the Greek word is dunamos, 
which we get our dynamite from. It's explosive temper. I mean, do you fly off the handle every now and again? Um, I've been known to. Don't ask Monica, she'll fill you in too much detail. Uh, clamour. Uh, this is an outcry or an uproar. And we've seen plenty of these, haven't we, in recent times in our media. Uh, pe people with, uh, just in uproar about nothing uh, or about things that are important to them. Uh, evil speaking is blasphemy uh, or speech defamatory of God. Uh, of course, if, if my friends in Pakistan, if they say anything about um, Allah, uh, they're accused of blasphemy. In fact, they can be accused even without doing that. But we don't want to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Chapter 12, Matthew 12, 31 tells us that. And malice here has the idea of a vicious character wanting to harm others by our speech. I'm not going to go into more detail about those because we want to move on. But you can see that these things describe what we will be like when we are filled with the Spirit of God and they also describe what we are like when we're not filled with the Spirit of God. And we get to choose whether we want to be filled or not. The old nature will dictate that we react with bitterness, wrath, anger and the like uh, to those around us, where if we're filled with the Spirit of God, we will be kind to one another. We'll be compassionate toward one another. We'll be patient. We'll be understanding. In other words, we'll be imitators of Christ. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. You can see, I'm hoping you can see now we're building that we have the command to be filled with the Spirit of God. Preceding that, Paul has given instruction to the church at Ephesus on how to identify what is the result of being filled with the Spirit of God and what is not. And afterwards, of course, he talks about relationships. How our standards of purity are maintained. Chapter 5, verses 3 to 6. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as befitting for saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Fornication here is uh, essentially that's any sex outside marriage. Uh, uncleanness, uh, Essentially not morally pure by God's measure, not by man's measure, by God's measure. Covetousness, uh, this is used in, in the bad sense, it's not being not content with what God has given us. You know, God has given some of us more and some less, but, but not, we should be content with that, as the Apostle Paul says he was, whether he was in, well off or whether he was in prison and being beaten. He was content. Filthiness, essentially all that is contrary to purity, foolish talking, uh, we get our English word moron from that, moronic, uh, stupid, worthless, 
uh, that's foolish talking. And then coarse jesting, well, vulgar, wet, crude, suggestive jokes. And uh, it's pretty difficult these days to find a comedian who does not use coarse jesting. They cannot... When you get a really... Someone who does not use coarse jesting, you've got a real comedian. And uh, you can have a good laugh. But it's, it's really sad that most of them resort to uh, foolish talking or coarse jesting. In the world of that day, particularly in Ephesus, where Diana or Artemis, the goddess of fertility, were worshipped with all sorts of immoral practices, the believers were being pressured to indulge in the sum of these activities. Sound familiar? Because in our world today, we are experiencing the similar pressures to, be, to indulge in, all the, in these things that are contrary to what we will live if we are filled with the Spirit of God. The world's pressuring us to fit their mould, but we are to resist it. And lastly, of those, how we associate with others. For people who do those things, don't be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is a shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But rather expose them. This is, this is what, I think this is one of God's little hobbies. Well, I'm not sure about a hobby, but he's, he's exposing wickedness. He works it in, in your life. He does it in mine. He's doing it in nations. God likes to bring out what people try to keep hidden. He likes to bring it out in the open for, for, so that it can be dealt with. As long as we keep our sins or our bad attitudes or anything hidden uh, or oppressed, it won't be dealt with. God likes to expose things uh, in order to deal with them. And of course for the believer that means, with regard to sin, it means confessing sin and then being forgiven and cleansed of it. But the Holy Spirit filling our lives will demand that we no longer take part with those who work the works of darkness. Do you want to be separated from those things? Immoral living, coarse jesting, the ways of the world. Do you, still, do you really want to be separated from them? If you don't want to be separated from them, that's your choice. But don't expect to be filled with the Spirit of God. Unfortunately, a lot of people, of course, uh, do try to circumvent that by claiming that there are signs that indicate they're filled with the Spirit of God, so they seek the sign. But nowhere in the spiritual gifts here does Paul mention that in Ephesians. In fact, we'll get to that. I'm sure we get to that somewhere. <clears throat> this command relates to the controlling or influence of our lives. That's what we've got there. We must not be seduced by the ways of the world or we will quench the Holy Spirit and he cannot fill us. This command relates to the controlling influence of our lives and we've read this before, Ephesians 4, 
5.18. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. There's something you don't do, something you do do. Uh, in contrast to the way of a drunken man, uh, or that a drunken person is controlled by the effect of alcohol, the believer is instructed to be controlled, uh, affected by the Holy Spirit. And the Apostle Paul makes it clear that it's one or the other. It's very interesting to note the parallel passage in Colossians 3.16 in which we are told to let the word of Christ dwell richly in us or in a paraphrase, to be filled with the word of Christ. The Holy Spirit will be the controlling influence of our lives when we are willing to let him. The moment we are not willing to let him, we grieve him and he no longer can fill us. This command requires action on our part. To be continually filled with the Spirit, as the verb suggests, we are required to put away, put off, disassociate with all that grieves, quenches or resists the Holy Spirit. And this is the one time you're allowed to be fat. We are to be fat Christians. Faithful. Faith is one who reads, meditates, esteems and obeys the word of God. Available. Totally to the Holy Spirit's control. Any measure of holding back will limit the Holy Spirit's work. We are always, to, we are always on call to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And thirdly, teachable. Willingly and gladly giving time to read, study and meditate on God's word and not be closed to anything that he teaches us. Essentially we are to abide in Christ. Abiding in Christ, as I said before, and filling of the Holy Spirit and fellowship with God, fellowship with Christ, I believe are all just the same thing, looking at the same thing from a slightly different angle. But John 15, 4 and 5, Jesus says, Abide in me. In other words, have your dwelling in me. For us older folk know that abide and abode has the idea of the place where you live. Everyone's saying, no, we're not that old. Well, my dad used to always say, we're going to our abode. In other words, our home. Uh, and abide is the same thing. To abide in Christ is to, is to have our home in Christ. For him to have his home in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And without the filling of the Holy Spirit, which I believe is the same thing, just looking at it from a slightly different angle, we can do nothing. You say, well, the Holy Spirit endures me, that's fine, I can go do everything. No. It's when the Spirit of God controls you. And I can only see in hindsight, as I study the Scriptures and as I walk before the Lord, that I can see there are times when I was not out of growing and knowing Christ and walking with him and serving him. And you'll notice that everything, nothing we've looked at here is 
miraculous or great in a sense. It's just normal, everyday Christian living. It's taken me a while to learn that, that just in my normal, everyday life, I, can be, I am filled with the Spirit of God and I please God. I don't have to go out and preach. It's good that Gerald was able to preach the 2,000. I'm, I don't envy him at all. I'm glad he, just glad he could do that. Uh, it took someone dying to do that. But um, when I'm in my garden, I haven't got much of a garden, but when I'm potting with my pots, I can please God while I'm doing that. I can be filled with the Spirit of God and please God with that. But of course there are times when we do things out of the ordinary. Oops, I went missed that one. John, 1 John 3, 2, 4, 3.24 Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit he has given us. Each of us need to sit back and take time out periodically to look at what is it that's hindering the Holy Spirit controlling my life? What's hindering him filling me? What's hindering him ministering through me to others? Remember the uh, spiritual gifts? Which I didn't read. I was going to read them. I didn't read them. But in Ephesians 4.11 he says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For what? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. We are each who have received Christ-given spiritual giftings, but they're not for us. They're for the body of Christ. So whatever your gifting is, it's not for you personally. It's for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up or edifying of the body of Christ. We cannot doubt Jesus' love for us because what we just shared at the communion time, because he suffered on the cross for your sin and my sin. By that very act, and that is the only act, the only thing that allows you to be saved for the first place, is the only basis from which you can be filled with the Spirit of God. It's never on the basis of, well, you've served God here, there, and everywhere. You've done this and done that, not done this, not done that. No, it's, on a, it's a gift. I said right at the beginning, filling of the Holy Spirit is God's gift. But it's on the basis of the cross. It's on the basis of Christ giving himself. We cannot doubt God's love for us because Christ died for us. Therefore, seeing how the Holy Spirit and Jesus are of the same, not the same person but of the same essence, then we cannot doubt that the Spirit of God loves you as well. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the Holy Spirit loves you equally as the Father does, as Jesus does? It only took one of those three persons to go to the cross. But he loves you just the same. We receive the Holy Spirit 
as Christ's gift to us when we first believed. We continue to receive the filling or control of the Holy Spirit as God's gift to us, provided we do not take back that control and grieve, quench or resist the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The behaviour that's mentioned in Ephesians 4 and 5 uh, means by one of the, there's other places in the Bible too, by the way, but this is one of the places where we can read it through and evaluate our own lives. Where do I fit in all this? And if we, if we find we're falling short, it's because we're not filled with the Spirit of God. So we go back and ask for God's gracious gift of the filling of the Holy Spirit, not the indwelling. We already have the indwelling if we've trusted Christ. But fulfilling, that is for his control. I want, I want the Holy Spirit to control my life. Do you want the Holy Spirit to control your life or do you, are you going to control it? It's your choice. But you can't have it both ways. Yeah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you make it possible for us to allow the Spirit of God to not just indwell us but to to guide our lives, to teach our lives, to control our lives. For the most part, we're not aware of it until we, in hindsight, perhaps all of us can look back and say there is a moment in our lives where, or perhaps many moments, where we look back and see, yeah, God directed my paths there even though I wasn't aware of it. But we thank you for your grace, your love, that overrides our doubts, overrides our impatience, overrides the times when we are tempted, tested, all that we might grow in Christ. And we do pray that because of your great gift at Calvary's cross, not only to save us, not only to indwell us by the Holy Spirit, but that he might control our lives, that he may teach us, correct us, rebuke us, and guide us so that we are pleasing to you. We thank you for your scriptures that give us these descriptions so that we can know whether we are filled with your spirit or whether we aren't. But mostly we just thank you that it is a gift that you graciously do for us in Christ's name. May we each know this in the future, just guide us in our own ways, our own learning, each one according to where they are, so that we all may all be edified, that we may all be built up, that we may be encouragement to one another to allow you to lead our lives, especially as, as a church body. Heavenly Father, we have so many, there's always much more we could be doing. There's always needs of certain giftings, certain abilities, certain, but mostly as those who make themselves available to serve you. We are mostly